What's happening in the canine industry? For all the latest news, views and expert opinions, stay right here for the canine paradigm. You'll hear from industry leaders, experts, doyens of the industry, learned colleagues, movers and shakers, and the odd Randy guest. Get the latest insights and expert advice from both here and abroad from the people in the know. Now, here are your hosts, Glenn Cook and Pat Stewart. And I'm Lofty Fulton, and I'm out of here. Welcome back to the Canine Paradigm. I'm your host, Pat Stewart. I'm joined in studio today by my co-host, Glenn Cook. And today we have the honor and privilege of joining us over Skype, Mr. Larry Crone. Larry, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me, guys. Truly appreciate it. I'm looking forward to it. It's been great, Larry. And I sent a message to you a while ago because uh, quite a few people sent us a message online and said, oh, have you seen, there's a YouTube clip with Larry Crone, dog trainer in the United States. And he gave you guys a shout out and I was, I listened to it and I thought, oh, that was really nice of you. I really appreciated it. Well, I did a, a workshop in Nebraska a few weeks ago and I had a 12 hour drive. And so uh, I listened to a bunch of your episodes and man, I really enjoyed it. I, I really did. But it was, it was that one episode that, that really struck home with me that I, I think you're talking about, you know, I think it was with Josh and, and Forrest mm-hmm. and uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it, and I think, more of us go through that than what people think. I think so many of us go through it and you don't say nothing. You think it's just you, but no, that's, that's pretty common in the industry. That's for sure. You know, that's it. It is. It's amazing how many people are actually feeling that and feel like if I say anything to anybody that they're going to think differently about me, they, they kind of have an opinion that if you talk about it, it's an act of weakness where I think I don't, I don't actually agree with that. I, I probably might've when I was younger and a bit more, egotistical about things but now that i'm older i actually look back on it and think you know it's it's an act of strength to talk about your vulnerability and just say look i'm not feeling great at the moment i need to have a little walk about for a period of time and just collect my thoughts and come back when i'm feeling clearer i mean you're a better person for everybody when you're in that state of mind too when you're clear and when you're you're not speaking gibberish and you're you're not bitter and twisted up inside you come back and you feel you have a sense of clarity and the message you give people is a much better one. If you even record yourself and listen to yourself, you think, I sound like a completely different person. So it's a win-win for everybody, really. Yeah. And it's not just dog training. I think it's with anything. I think anything that you do on a regular basis, there's times you, you have to take some time off. You have to step back and just step away for you to to really get everything together, you know, upstairs. I think it makes a really big, well, I talked about it with the dogs. You know, when I'm teaching something that's maybe a little more difficult or on a regular basis training, I'm always going to take some time off to where I do nothing with the dog. Mm -hmm. I just let him be a dog and enjoy him for a week or two or three. I've done it up to a month. And there's never been one single time where we don't come back much stronger as individuals and as a team. Makes a world of difference. The dogs need it, too. It's not just us, you know. Yeah, Yeah. that's a good point. I was about to say that dogs need it too. There's times where I've been training and I've just thought, and Pat talked about this a while ago where his dog needed a break from him and it was killing him that he was doing the break. But yeah, he rang me and said, can I leave my dog with you for a couple of weeks? I think I've overcooked him and I just need him to chill and take it easy and be a puppy for a while and then come back to him. And it made the world a difference. He can't, Pat rang me and he said, wow, the difference between two weeks ago compared to now, 
he's starting to become the dog I want because I'm not asking so much of him. And I, I right. saw it in his results, like he was here doing some training and you could see their relationship just take off. It was at a whole different direction. It's so, an easy trap to fall into, especially as dog trainers with a dog that wants to train. So, you know, I love to train. I would train every waking hour that I can. And I've got a, a crazy dog who is willing to do that with me. But because you can doesn't mean you should. And, mm. and it's an easy trap to, to over push a dog and push him, push him. And they're giving you, I think, signals saying, hey, we're going too far. This is too much. I just want to go be a dog and fuck around. But it's easy to miss those or ignore them. And yeah, I'm guilty of it for sure. So it's good to just go back to get back to every now and again, just to being a dog and let's go and do no training. And I'll be like, at best, if I have to, I'll recall you. But you know, the rest of the time is just go do your own thing and we'll do it together. Mm. I enjoy it. And it's, it's definitely important. You've got to remember to do it. And, and for me, it's an act of like, you, I have to actively do it. I don't do it without subconsciously. I have to choose to do it. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. You know, my Luca's the same way. He'll go 24 hours a day. Yeah. And uh, the thing is, I don't work him much. I mean, very little. I don't I, I don't have time. I'm still a special agent also. So I'm still a federal agent. Mm-hmm. And then I have all the things going on with my two kids who are young and involved in everything. And then I have clients dogs. So your dogs really suffer. But in a way, at six years old, I think if I would have had the amount of time to give Luca like that, he would want. I don't think he'd be in the same shape mentally or physically today yeah. that he's in because he's in great shape because, you know, I've really not beat up his body at all. Mm-hmm. You know, um, bite work comes very rarely to him and it's, it's so strong when he does it and he's, he's so driven in it and gives everything. I can't imagine if I'd be doing that on a regular basis for the past six years I don't think he'd be in the condition he is in today, but he's in great physical and mental shape, I think, because when we do do something, he really puts everything into it because he doesn't know when it's, you know, it's coming next. You know what I mean? He takes those opportunities. That's good. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, Larry, so um, this is going to be an exciting sort of podcast for me because this is our first conversation. I mean, we've messaged each other a couple of times, we've commented on stuff, videos. I've been following you online for maybe 12 or 18 months or something like that. And you put out so much content, right? Like there's so yeah. much stuff out there, which yeah. in and of itself is an amazing feat. Never mind what you're achieving with the dogs as well. And I want to talk a little bit later about your uh, social media engagement. Like you, you're- you got a good cult following. Well, you talk to everybody. I don't know how you find the time to do that. So you respond yeah. and you do so well. But what I really want to understand is how did this all start for you? Where did you start in dogs and how did you get to that? Because We, we want you, your origin story. Yeah. That's what we're after. Because as you just said, you're, it's not your full-time gig. You're a police or something like that for, for a real job. Yeah. So yeah, how did it all start in dogs for you? And, and how did you get to be this guy that we're talking to? Well, it started like a lot of us start off, you know, 20 something years ago, we had our first dog once I left home and me and my wife got married and did everything wrong. Like a lot of people <laughs> yeah. do. I mean, everything. And I started training with the trainer when I, we lived out in Arizona, out in the Southwest. And, uh, you know, the thing that always interested me was the behavior of a dog, a really well-behaved dog, a dog that you can take anywhere and he could be by your side. You could leave him outside on the sidewalk and he'd wait for you when you went in and got a sandwich. You know, that's what always interested me. Mm-hmm. And the trainer I worked with, he had that. He had the best behaved dogs I had ever seen. And so that was it. That was the first time the, the fire was lit, you know, and uh, it took off from there. I still did everything wrong. 
And so after training for, for several years, you know, you, you, you get better. It's trial and error. We didn't have YouTube and, yeah. and Facebook and Insta. We had none of that. So I didn't have training groups or anything. So it was, it was on my own. And, um, you know, little by little, I just started getting better and better. And then I had Rottweilers. Mm-hmm. And so once we moved to this area, people would see me in Nashville and downtown Nashville with my, my Rottweiler off leash. And I could go in a really busy area and go in and get some food and he'd wait outside and he used to blow people away. So I just started getting more and more calls. You know, sometimes people would knock on my door, you know, in the middle of the day, could you help me with my dog? And I say, yeah, sure. You know, and it's just something I love. Mm-hmm. And, and I couldn't imagine people paying me to do this yeah. because it's something that, that I truly love. But to make a long story short, it snowballed pretty quick. I'm not real good with the tech stuff, as you guys can see, but my wife bought me this little flip phone camera several years back, and we made a couple videos, and they're bad. They're, they're still on my YouTube. They are so oh, bad. Oh, really? They're I still mean, there? You kept them? Oh, yeah. Bad music, bad everything, you know? <laughs> and, and I kind of just enjoyed it. It was fun, and it was challenging, but it's hard to do, you know? It's really hard to make videos. And, and then when things really took off, I had taken that camera with me because I used to do all in-home lessons. I used to travel around the Nashville, Tennessee area doing all in-home lessons. Mm-hmm. And I got called to work with a really bad dog. It was a, it was a pit bull mix. And it, it was always one of my more popular videos up until recently. And, you know, I just handed the owner, the husband of the house, the, the, the little camera. And I say, do me a favor, just film. And we did that. And uh, it was an extremely human aggressive dog, like really. But he was on death row and, and he was supposed to be put down. A mm-hmm. uh, few trainers had failed with him. And they said, there's no way nothing can be do with there's nothing could be done with this dog. And back then I was only given three private lessons. That's what I used to do. And it was the first time I ever told someone, I don't know if I can do it. Mm-hmm. I said, I'll give you everything I have, but I don't know if I can do it. I had to be honest with them. And at the same time, I told them, I'll do it as long as I have to. You know, forget the three private lessons. I'm going to stick this out and we'll see what we could do here. And I filmed it and it turned out we got it done in those three private lessons. And uh, it wasn't just that the dog wasn't trying to kill me or anymore. The dog was truly happy and relaxed. And he started coming to group class and he started going to daycare. And, you know, yeah, that was a great thing when I put it out and got a lot of attention. And it was also the worst thing I ever did (laughs) because... For the next few years, I mean, literally a few years, people thought that that's what I specialized in, aggressive dogs. And I no longer got to train regular dogs. And it caused me to really burn out. And I took a whole year off at one point. I said, I'm done. I can't do this anymore. You know, I was absolutely exhausted. It was one bad dog after another. So the video that got me a little attention also just took me down. You know, it, it killed me. And uh, I remember a statement from from a, a shelter one time. I was talking to them and, and I asked them, why didn't you call me about this dog? You know, it was a dog that they wound up putting down. They said, well, you only, you know, work with rich people and famous people. And I was like, are you out of your mind? I mean, that's so far from the truth. You yeah. know, I mean, it wasn't even close. But but that's kind of the the label that went along with it. And that was never my intention. I didn't like that. So I did. I shut down for a whole year and I swore I'd never train dogs again. You know, I, I just played with my own dogs. That was it. It's amazing the interpretation people can take away with something sometimes, isn't it? Like if you are an online person, they can kind of get an image of who you are and what you stand for. 
listening to your story just now, Larry, it's almost like we're doppelgangers. I mean, I started off in Roddy's and I'm still very well known for Rottweilers around Australia. My nickname when I was in Melbourne, Australia was Mr. Rottweiler because that's what I was dealing with was problematic Rottweilers, Rottweilers that were out of control and a lot of aggression problems. So I was, for a period of time, like you, I was seeing the worst of them, not the best of them. And that was, to be honest, I learned a hell of a lot about dog training and behavior by dealing with that aggression problem. So there's no regrets for me. It's just that when it's the same thing as when you're dealing with one person after another and you're dealing with highly emotive people too. People that Mm -hmm. are are scared, people are very confused, people that are nervous about the future of them and their dog because something may have happened or even if it was preventative measures, it was still things that were causing a lot of chaos in the home for people. So no regrets from me, but it does lead to a lot of burnout because you've got to constantly be thinking, am I giving the right advice? Am I doing the right thing? Am I saying the right thing? Am I taking into consideration all the safety aspects, not, not, not just of those people and their dog, but the community at large as well. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, the, the good thing is that dog I just talked about, that dog caused me to change the way I handle dogs like that. And I, it was literally the, the next dog after him where just out of total just being fried, I started doing everything hands off, mm. you know, and, and it worked out so unbelievably well i thought maybe it was a fluke and then with the next dog i did it and then so on and so on so i no longer get i never i don't put hands on dogs like that in the beginning anymore usually lesson three lesson four and it's made such a tremendous difference you know it, it really has working with aggression cases is a lot less stressful today on me on the owners and the dogs and the results are just it's never been better you know it's never been better mm. so can we just explore that for a moment you say yeah. Uh, hands off. Yeah. So mm-hmm. how do you mean? You mean that you're putting the dog in position to make good decisions and you're not involved in that? You set up the environment or? Yeah. Yeah. What happened, Pat, is I went to my next client after that dog and it was a young couple. They lived in an apartment complex and they had a highly aggressive, human aggressive and dog aggressive dog. And they lived in an apartment complex. It was a disaster, you know? So when I met them for the first lesson, I was trying to talk to them and I couldn't because the dog was going insane. So I had them put the dog away and then I said, okay. And they wanted to do the e-collar work. They wanted to do everything and they were going to be moving very, very soon. So we, we were kind of in a rush. I said, bring the dog out. And there was a tennis court there. And I said, you know what? I mean, the dog was so out of control trying to get to me. I said, take the dog in the tennis court. I stayed on the outside. We had an e-collar on the dog that the owner had a, a pouch and treats on him. And I said, I'm going to walk you through the conditioning process. I'm going to do everything with the remote and I'm going to tell you exactly what to do. And we started conditioning the dog to the e-collar just like that. Mm -hmm. You know, I would hold, you know, I'd control the remote and I'd tell him, call him now. He'd call the dog, you know, market reward. And we did that. And uh, it just went very, very well. Like real by the end of the lesson, I was fairly close to the dog and the dog just didn't seem to care anymore that I was there. And then we went on, I gave them what to do for the following week and we, we met again. And this time we pushed it a little more, started adding things and I was closer and closer to the dog. It wasn't even an option. And I had to take away one of the private lessons because they were getting ready to move. So what we did with the last private lesson was this time I brought Bruno, my Rottweiler. He used to go on all the aggression cases with me Mm -hmm. and it was time to introduce this dog to me and the Rottweiler. 
to the other dog. And when I got there, it was it was storming out. I mean, it was pouring rain in. And the only place we could do it was in a dark hallway of a stairwell of an apartment complex. <laughs> the worst place you could possibly yeah, not, do it. Not to add any you know? pressure. Yeah. I mean, just terrible. But in that instance, he was already doing really well with the e-collar. If anyone knows me, I don't correct or punish aggression up front. I just, I just don't do Mm -hmm. it. And so I started doing multiple things with myself and my dog, including something that's, that's referred to as cat constructional aggression treatment. I started using a little bit of that and I started really mixing things up. In other words, I'd have him at the end of the dark alley in the stairwell, you know, and we'd start approaching and the dog would fix in on us and he'd stop. And the second he would look away, me and the dog would leave, Mm -hmm. you know, and we did that multiple times to where we were pretty close. Then I started over and every time we appeared, the owner started marking and rewarding, marking and rewarding. Mm -hmm. And, And it went just fantastic. And then we didn't push it any further than that. But their very next lesson, right before they left, the dog came to group class. And there's two videos on my YouTube channel that make no sense if you watch them. People say, what is this? What happened was I was giving a group class and this dog was there and I had still never laid hands on this dog. I never touched the dog. Mm -hmm. And while I was kneeling down, talking to everyone else, that dog pulled the owner toward me and came up loving on me and kissing me. And the owner just started bawling and she started filming. Uh She was filming for that reason. And it was like a completely different dog, you know, and that was the first dog I I call it you know, hands off, no conflict, aggression training. I'm not into methods. I don't put names to things, but it was honestly so incredibly powerful that I tested it with the next several aggression cases I got. And it was all the same by lesson three, I was handling the dog and there were just no problems. So if I do something that works over and over, I share it. Mm -hmm. I wrote about it I made videos about it and I put it out there. And to this day, I talk to young trainers that don't want to deal with aggression and they'll say, I don't, I think this is too much for me, which is good, you know? Yeah, yeah. But the ones that want to give it a shot, we do that together. I've helped a bunch of them over the phone and they've done videos of the dog before. And they're like, this is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my life. So young trainers with not a ton of experience are getting very good results with very minimal conflict, you know? Yeah, and, that's and, and that's a, a, that's a great thing to see. It really is. I think the awesome thing about that as well is it's quite a safe technique to use, right? Like he, if you get someone that makes some errors or whatever, I mean, cause everybody has to take on their first difficult case. There has to be a, a your first day. Yeah. It would be difficult to make the dog much worse doing that. Or certainly it would be difficult for you to get bitten or someone to get hurt. And the dog actually achieves success. And now he's got a bite history and, and that changes the, the game for, for everything. So even if, uh, even if you're not sure, it's something that you can have a go at with, you know, with guidance. Yeah. But yeah, I like that a lot. I think it's a great idea. The funny thing is I did a video series a couple of years ago with a really serious German shepherd, like highly, highly human aggressive. And same thing. First two lessons, I didn't handle them. We videoed all of it. It's on my page. And on the third lesson, I'm talking to the camera, telling people, here comes the dog, you know, and and he wasn't there yet. And I said, one of two things are going to happen. I'm going to handle the leash today. There's a good chance the dog is going to try to hide behind his owner and it's all a bluff or the dog's going to try to kill me. (laughs) This was the first time the dog tried to kill me. But it's but it's good because we got it on on camera, you know, And, and I just think it's important to show everything. The more you can show, the more you don't hide, the more people learn from it, because people I make these videos 
So somebody learns something if possible, Mm -hmm. you know, if I could help one young trainer, great. And that was a perfect example. Things went real bad, but they got much better after that. You know, we, we did what had to be, the dog did what he thought had to be done, but you know, things got a lot better after that. And I think it was very important for people to see that. I really do. There's a good video that Cesar Milan put out a while ago. And when I say good video, I'm going to say that with a little bit of grace because a lot of people condemn it. And it's a video of him working with a Labrador over food aggression. So he's got the Labrador on the ground. The dog is near his bowl and he's squatting down near it. And then the dog starts to snarl and lunge towards him. So he does his Caesar Milan textbook Mm -hmm. jab in the neck and so forth, which fires the dog up more. Then the dog settles down and he's talking to the camera and the owners of the dog about the dog going into submission and saying, you know, like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen and blah, blah, blah. While he's addressing the the owners of the dog and he's talking about the situation, he goes to put his hand on top of the dog, completely not looking what he's doing, and the dog grabs him by the hand and gives him a couple of good puncher marks in his hand. And the owners are freaking out. He's kind of surprised that it happened. I mean, I wasn't surprised. I could see that happening, but, I mean, I'm experienced in that. And I've shown it to students here, and they said, you know, why would he put that video out? And I said, he's copped a lot of flack over that. Like, this has been the point of discussion worldwide. People have looked at that video and said, that is terrible training, this, that, and the other, and people have had an opinion on it. What I think Caesar did really well, the fact that he had the humility to release that video and allow it to go to air, to show to people that some things don't go to plan and mistakes happen because of it. If people take it in, it's actually a very good learning video. I can say that I don't personally agree with how he handled the situation. That's just one man's opinion on the matter. But the reality is, is that he did let it go to air and people can actually learn from it. So rather than condemn it and saying, I would never put that video out, I'm actually pretty pleased that he did put that video out so people can look at it and get to see the the body language that the dog is producing prior to the dog considering that behavioral option. I know the video well, Glenn, I couldn't agree with you more. I, I do think it's great that he put it out. And, and here's the thing. I'm sure you've seen it broken down in slow motion, too, where mm. they're pointing out all the warning signs. And as someone who makes videos, OK, I've never made a video ever. I think out of the 400 something videos I have, I think there's maybe two that I like. But I've never made a single video that I can look at and not point out a ton of mistakes that I made. Yeah. It's very easy to see the mistakes when you're watching the video. And a lot mm. of time, that's why I do the video, especially with clients. It's very easy. And and so if I feel the pressure, because I feel the pressure when I'm making a video, I tr- I'm a little different. I'm not as sharp. My dog is not as sharp. He's a lot better when we're not filming. I could only imagine the pressure when you're the most famous dog trainer on the planet and you have a worldwide TV show and there has to be some playing to the camera, Mm, you know, that is going to have an effect. I don't know that that same thing would have happened if the TV crew wasn't there and he was dealing with that dog on his own at his center. I I really don't. Well, that's the problem when you're being an entertainer. I mean, there's a, there's a difference between being a trainer and being an entertainer. And 100%. I think that's there's a lot of people who have gone down the wrong path because producers are pushing them in a direction where they really shouldn't be. They have no place in having or giving advice to the trainers in those sort of situations. I know people who have been behind the scenes in animal wrangling and they said to me, you know, the producers just have no idea. And I said, that's right, they don't. They're, they're completely ethereal and they have no 
concept of animal behavior whatsoever. I said they're fantastic at putting shows together. They like drama. They like they like action. They're trying to get the audience to feel something, which is happiness, anger, empathy, sadness, whatever it is. But they're also telling people to do dangerous and silly things sometimes. And I mean, I've been in that situation before, Larry, where I've been wrangling for animals on advertising or shows or something like that. And they've told me to do something. And I've said, no, I'm not doing it. To be honest, I said, I'd rather walk away here and finish our agreement together because what you're asking me to do is A, silly, or it doesn't line up properly with the welfare of the animal. So I won't do it. Where some people might actually consider it. They think I'm here, I can't waste the money or I, I can't waste the opportunity. It's kind of sad that people would consider still doing that and going ahead with it, but that's what happens sometimes when cameras come on and, and you get pressure. It's a bit of the Milgram experiment where people believe that somebody in authority that tells them it's safe to do and they they should be doing so will go ahead with the decision. Right. I agree. I definitely agree. And, you know, like you said before, too, a lot of people don't want to miss that opportunity. They don't want to give an opportunity up. And uh, especially today, there's so many opportunities for dog trainers because of social media. You know, everybody's looking for that next big break, that TV show, you know, the, yeah. the big video on, on YouTube. It, everyone's doing it, mm-hmm. you know, and, and you could watch the videos, how they change. You could see when someone's forcing it, doing it every day, trying to come up with new subjects and doing it. It, it really shows, you yeah. know, it, it really shows. And I caught myself doing it, too. I really did. You know, people wanted to see something every day. If I didn't have something to film with the dogs, well, they like the talking in, in the Jeep thing. I don't, you know, I don't. And so when I do that, I'm basically trying to answer, you know, if I have 300 questions of the same question, I'll try to do it in, in that form. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, it gets old because if you're not in the right mindset, it's really hard to let it flow naturally and not look like an idiot. It, it really is. And uh, yeah, it's just, it it could be, it could be really tough. It really can. From a professional standpoint, I feel like you, you really have a, it's a double-edged sword, that social media and the kind of content that you put out. I feel like some people that put out really polished content and that's all of look at this amazing thing and they've rehearsed it and there's a million takes and whatever, and it's highly edited, polished content. I think that can be really problematic from a business standpoint because you can back yourself into a corner because you, everybody knows you can't reproduce those mm. results live all the time. Dogs make mistakes, bad mm. things happen. And so I think if someone's got really highly polished videos all the time, they need to be in competition for something. Like all the tools have to come off and you got to go on the field in something you don't control and now let's see what you really got. And if you do that, awesome. But I, I, there's very few people that do that. You know, they're, they're either – super polished content and that's it. And then I can teach all this and I can explain it, but you'll never get to see me work a dog live. Or there's right. there's people who, you know, here's the whole session. Here's the mistakes. This is how it went and this is how it goes. And I, like, certainly they're the ones you learn from. Yeah, I But it's, it's just two type of brands, two types of people. You see both. But I think that when you're only putting out that really polished content, you do, you back yourself into a corner a little bit. Um, and people like the vulnerability of making mistakes as well. Like if they see you making a mistake and, and they trust you as a professional, they go, wow, he made a mistake and he's explaining about it or she's explaining about it. Like they're telling the story about what they did wrong, how they could have done it better, how the dog responded to it, how it bounced back in the next session. Mm. They love it. Like people, the feedback that I've got from doing things like that before, I know Pat has and I know other trainers that have published online content. People have come back and said, I really like that. I love the fact that you showed the mistake. 
Yeah, well, a few years ago, guys, I told when people started watching my videos a little bit, I said, you know what? It's me. It was in my seven-year-old daughter when we started with an iPhone. You could hear her like burping, coughing, and farting in the background. <laughs> and that's what we did, you know? Yeah. And I said, you know what, folks? I'm going to get some nice equipment and we'll start making some nice edit. And people hit the roof. They're like, no, don't. Keep it just as it is. That's yeah. what we want to see. And the funny thing is, you just mentioned it. You know, but um, the dog I have here now, I have a big, lovable bull mastiff here. You know, he's never going to look like my Malinois. Mm -hmm. And I've been making videos with him and not caring. I mean, sloppy, ugly, unprofessional. And I've loved it. I've absolutely no pressure to anybody to watch them. I don't care if anyone sees them. They're a mess. And I'm having such a good time with him because I'm just trying to bring out the best in this dog. And there's nothing planned. Even, you know, if I film my dog, guys, if I film Luca, what I'll try to do is I'll, if I'm going to do something new with him that I've never done, I'll try to film it, mm. you know, because I want him to make the mistakes. I want me mm. to make the mistakes because that's where the people really learn. OK, he did that. How do you fix that? And and so that's I always try to do something. If I'm going to try something new for the first time or if I just feel like making a video with Luca, that's what I'll do. I'll try to do something different and catch it on film for the first time. So, yeah, you guys are, are dead on the money, man. It's it's just across the board. And, and, and that's what goes on today, you know, and and the, you definitely feel the pressure you mentioned how I respond to everyone. That was my thing for a long time. I responded to every phone call, every text message, every email, every comment on my videos. I never ignored anyone. Mm -hmm. Part of the frustration and the burnout comes from not being able to do that anymore. I yeah. feel terrible. I don't like the way it makes me feel for people going out there and saying really good things about me. And I can't respond to each person and I can't even read them all. And that makes me feel like a like a real low life. I don't like it, you know, but I get anywhere between 200, 300, 500 messages a day. Yeah. So it's literally there's no chance I could do it because I don't train dogs part time. And, you know, I'm a full time federal agent. I'm a full time federal agent. I train dogs full time. There is no more part time. I can't do it. part time, <laughs> You know, so I'm doing everything full time and it's it's nonstop. You know, I'm outside with whoever's dog I'm training 11, 1130 at night. We're training, you know, because I train dogs when I have to early in the morning, late at night, around lunchtime. And so it, it's you do it when you can. And, and it is exhausting. But I appreciate the support I get from people more than I could ever explain. It's it's humbling. It's embarrassing. And it makes me feel uncomfortable. But people have been very, very good to me, better than I deserve. They really have. No, well, I think like your content really resonates with people. I think it's very human. Uh, yeah, it's very real. And it, first of all, it's very good. So there's that. Thank like you. people learn a lot from it. You're very, you're very skillful. You, you're very good at explaining. But more than that is that it's very real. Like it's achievable. People can watch that and they actually take away a lot of um, like you can learn a lot from watching your videos, which I think that's that's the that's the catch 22 of putting out videos like that is you give people the thirst like oh okay well now i've got follow-up questions and that's it say because you know i'm i sometimes get it myself certainly like not the at box the, yeah well the box it drives me crazy like I, I just i can't you know it would be impossible to give all the time to answer all the questions it's just not possible you just can't you can't do it no. and, and work 
And I think people understand that usually, you know, they, they have to understand I'm putting out all this content. That's the, that's the info you get and the rest you're going to have to work for or, or buy, or that's an on the clock experience. Just from a professional standpoint, I feel like that's. Yeah. I don't think people should feel bad about that. I believe that what Pat's saying is hundred percent right. If you're giving free content, like we put this show together on the podcast and it costs us money to, to do it. And we don't mind. We're happy to do it because we actually like it. We love meeting people like yourself and other guests that have been on the show. It's absolutely fantastic. And same thing, Larry. We like to keep it real. Like I do very minimal editing on this show. I try and leave in all the unpolished comments that go in there. I do edit some rubbish or waffle content out from time to time. But the majority of the show is actually as it's recorded. So I try and keep it as real as possible. But there is times Pat and I get bombarded with questions. Like people are asking us questions all the time. And for a majority, it's okay. But there's times where I say to people, look, it sounds like you need a lesson. How about we book a lesson in? And that really gives me an indication of whether the person is serious about what they're talking about or not. Because as soon as it talks about being financially engaging. Some people go, oh, well, maybe, or, Mm. you know, I'll talk to you later or something like that. Whereas some people will say, no worries, let's book some time in. So I might do a Skype lesson with them or they'll come around here to my location and we'll do it. We'll bump out a lesson. I don't do as many of them as, as Pat does. I'm not sounding elitist or anything like that. And it's probably does sound elitist, but I'm very busy with my full-time job as you are as a federal agent, but I do like to pick and choose uh, interesting cases. And if it's simple obedience, and I'm again, it's not a elitist comment, but if it's simple obedience, I'll often refer them to a trainer that's close by them. A, they don't have to travel and it might not cost them as much as well. So I just say to them, there's somebody perfectly suited, you know, or if they're in the city area, I just say, look, Pat's right around the corner from you. Go and see him rather than drive all the way out here. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I send people to trainers all the time and, uh, and, and I am fortunate that I could be picky about the people I take on. And I've become more picky because the the more I like to deal with the dogs and the people, the more I enjoy the process, mm-hmm. you know? So I've become very, very picky. And, and I think you have to, because, you know, I know I'm in a different boat. You know, I, I don't, I always tell people that I could turn people away. If you have a young trainer, you know, married and has kids and has to put food on the table, I understand it. I told, I'm not living in a, in a you know, fake world. I know some people have to take everybody they can get. Yep. Um, Everyone's going to eat. Yeah, absolutely. And what I told people was a few years back when I started turning people away because I couldn't get to them anymore, it it got worse. People just want you more. (laughs) Yeah. Then I upped my prices. I'm going to make my prices ridiculous so nobody wants me to train their dog. It got worse again. Yeah. Yeah. I think Bart Bellin said he had to do the same. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's crazy. Yeah. You know, it's it's just crazy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's funny how that works, I guess. But you know, people appreciate quality. That's that's just the truth. And, and you know, you know what it is also, Pat. I I've become I build a pretty good relationship with my clients. I think it's really important. And the one thing I can tell you over the years of what people like is you got to treat people right, mm-hmm. and you got to be honest with people. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, I know from past experiences when I used to board my dogs at places and I'd call to check on them every day. It was the same thing. I say, hey, how are my dogs doing? Oh, they're doing great. They're doing wonderful every day. And then when I pick them up, they look like they're on their deathbed, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so when I have a dog at my home, I keep in contact with people every day. If the dog has a bad day, people know it. 
You know, they, yeah. they know every single thing that goes on. And it's really, really important in this business to be totally honest with people. They appreciate it so much and it goes a really long way. It yeah. really does. Larry, that's awesome you do and say that because where we are at the moment, our recording location is part of my or big part of my career is I run groups of boarding kennels in Australia and I have a very vested business interest in that field. So we did the same thing. Like at the start, people would be getting all positive news all the time. But the reality is if somebody has, like if their dog's not doing well, if it's stressed or it's having a bit of anxiety or it's had diarrhea or anything like that, we tell people. We just say yeah. to them, look, it's had a couple of stressy days. We're monitoring them. We're keeping an eye on them. And people appreciate the fact that we've told them the exact truth of what's happened with the dog. They don't yeah. want to know the dog is great every day. They become People actually become suspicious of that. They do want to know that their dog is safe and being cared for, which is the message that we tell them. But the reality is, is that change of location always creates stress. Mm. Change of location is something that the dog doesn't handle well for a couple of days, especially if the dog has never been in that environment before. So we tell people the truth and then we'll start telling them the progression story. Today, the dog's made some friends. Today, the dog played well. And we'll start showing them pictures and small video clips of that same sort of interaction. And then they come back and say, thanks so much, guys. Really appreciate it. It's It looks like you guys are really loving and caring for the dogs, which is yeah. absolutely the intent of people in this industry. Same thing with yours is that people do want to actually love and care for the dog. That's the reality of it is nobody wants to create bad business or bad relationships where people are saying, I wouldn't send my dog there. These people are crazy. Well, they don't care. And as a client of this place, I can vouch for that a little bit. Like recently when my dog was here, it, it's good to know when people notice small things because then you know they're really paying attention to mm. the dog. So feedback. So I you know, came out. I left Remy here one night and as I come to get him out, the girls came straight up to me and said, hey, you might want to check on Remy. He just didn't bark at us this morning as much as he normally really does. Mm -hmm. He was just quiet. And it was, I knew exactly what it was because he was up working all night and I put him in the kennels late. So he was just sleeping in. But it was amazing to me that they, that was important. They came they running out to me and they said, hey, your dog didn't bark as much as he normally does. Well, let's check him out. So that as a client makes you go like, oh, wow, they fucking are actually paying attention to my dog. They're going to notice if something goes wrong. He's not going to just suffer in his kennel if he's no good. Well, that's excellent. Yeah, that's that's really good for someone to point that out. Listen, the first board and train I ever did bit me. I've been, <laughs> I haven't been bitten much in my career, but the first board and train was a husky, and I went to put him in his crate that night, and he didn't want to go, and I tried to help him. He turned around and nailed me, and I was like, damn, you know? <laughs> and so the next day, I talked to the owner. I was like, yeah, he didn't have the best day, you know? He was a little shaky, and, and, and he bit me. And I told the owner what happened, how he bit me. He goes, oh, yeah, he'll do that. <laughs> yeah, thanks. Appreciate yeah. it. You could have told thanks me that one. Up. I yeah, I could have saved some skin on that one, you know? But... It is. I'm a little embarrassed to say, but the most savage attack that I've ever had being inside the kennel with a dog was a Dachshund. Yeah. It came flying at me. Like, I've never seen a dog with such ferocity. But I went in there and I thought, oh, what a cute little sausage dog. And I, I hadn't seen many Dachshunds at that point. I was very early in my career. And I walked in with him. And for a dog that's got like two inch legs, he made every bit of use of those. Like, he propelled through the air, hit me on the knee, and then came straight up and grabbed me on the jumper. And it was funny for about two seconds. And then I realized this dog is actually going to town on me. Like if he was a shepherd or anything like that, I'd be in serious, serious trouble. Like I laughed at it for the first couple of seconds. And I thought, damn, this dog's like committed. Like he's really, really trying to get me. And there was no holding back. I actually, the only way I could get him off was take my jumper off. Yeah. 
The yeah. only dog I've yeah, ever wow. really been towed up by was that little Jack Russell. <laughs> <laughs> and he opened me up all over the place. He nailed me so many bites. It was really bad. I had to get – It was. I was in bad shape because – let me tell the story. Yeah, now you've <laughs> so got to. I'm, I'm driving down the street, actually headed to a dog park, and this dog comes flying out of the dog park, trailing his leash, and he's in a full panic, and it's a big flexi. He's a little dog, and he's dragging like Told a 10-meter flexi. Told you those flexi, flexi leads are shit. Yeah, but it's locked, and it's wrapped around his leg, and he's, it is freaking him out, and he's he's in full panic running away. And I nearly ran him over. I slammed on the brakes. And he goes across my, my front, left to right, and- one street over is a, a really busy road. Like he's definitely getting nailed if he goes through there. So I jump out of the car and chase him through this alleyway that he's going through and grab the flexi to stop him getting onto that road. <laughs> and he just turns and comes back and wails me. He bit me straight in the leg. Like he's in a full panic, this dog, right? Comes flying back, bites me in the leg. I sort of reel back, bites me on the on the other leg, like up higher. I reach down to grab him, nails me in the hand. <laughs> and at that <laughs> point, I said, I've had enough of this. So I thought, I'm already bitten the hand. That's, that's the last bite you're getting. And I, with my whole hand, held onto his bottom jaw with the bite and wouldn't let him go while the owner turned up. And then she sees I'm bleeding from all over the place and starts apologizing to me, but still hasn't got her dog, right? Like, I'm like, take your fucking dog off me. <laughs> And then we can have the apology later, right? Like, just stop me getting bitten. Because if I put him down, he's running or biting me again. And that was my birthday. Oh, cool. So, oh, wow. <laughs> so, you know that um, Pat's been molested by a dolphin too, don't you, Larry? Oh, I, I've heard. I've heard <laughs> the story a little bit. You're a lucky man. Very lucky man. Yeah, well, the, if that's one way to look at it. Yeah. <laughs> You're the chosen one. Yeah. Well, apparently it's not that uncommon. Someone sent a... Uh, when we put that up, someone sent a, like an article about it happening frequently. Yeah. It, it happens more often than people think. Yeah. Well, I don't not recommend it. <laughs> hey, um, can we just have a quick direction change? Because I'm interested in your other career as a federal agent. Can we talk about sure. that or not really? Or Yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's talk about yeah. that. Like how long you've been doing it for? What's the focus of your role? That's interesting as well. Uh, 23 years. I've been a, I'm a special agent with Department of Homeland Security right now. Mm-hmm. And I started my career in 1995, 96, somewhere around there, down on the southwest border on the Mexican-United States border. Spent a few years down there with the United States Border Patrol and then came up to where I'm at now, very luckily, in, in Kentucky. And I don't know if you guys know anything about Kentucky. I'm just north of Nashville, Tennessee. So I'm in a pretty, you pretty good nice bourbon place. down there. Yeah, yeah, and I drink a lot of bourbon too. You know, <laughs> I, and and I started drinking a lot of bourbon when we when we moved here. You know, before we had kids. And training and dogs so makes I, you drink a lot of bourbon. Yeah, yeah, and and you know what? Sometimes I'll I'll take a glass of bourbon and go out and mess with the dog, and you just enjoy it more. <laughs> yeah, you have less expectations. You relax, and you just man, it's it's a it's a good thing. You know, it's a beautiful so sedative. Yeah, two more years I got before I retire, and um, nice. once I retire from the government, then I'll I'll be able to do a lot more with the dog stuff. And uh, you know, I, I don't know if I'll do anything with my own dogs. I love dog sports. You know, I love everything. And uh, sometimes I feel bad because I think my Luca could have done really well at so many things. You know, he's a really really impressive dog. But when you Think about the amount of time I've put into him. He's incredibly impressive because mm-hmm. I just haven't done much with him. You know, I, I spend those first couple of months when he's young, really laying a strong foundation. 
And then after that, you know, he just gets lost in the in the rubble with with everything else, you mm-hmm. know. But um, I, I think I, I think maybe at that point I'll, I'll maybe dabble in something. I'm not I'm not sure. IPO, PSA, something, mm-hmm. you know, but I, I do have a ton of respect for the dog sports. And people have tried to push me into it before. They say, you got it, you know, do it because I've I've helped a lot of IPO people. And um, but with the amount of time I have to do it, I think it I it would be disrespectful to the sport. And I just have too much respect for the sport to half-ass it. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah. Well, you've got a little puppy at the moment, right? So two years from yeah. now, that'd be prime for competition. Yeah. Everything I do with her now, I, I'm kind of doing. So if I do want to lean one way or the other, I'll be able to do it, mm-hmm. you know? And, and if I can get her as sharp as Luca, then I'll be good to go. You know, because I am confident with Luca, I could do just about anything. You know, he's a pretty remarkable dog. He really is. He really is. Where did he come from? He came from the same place my puppy came from, Mohawk Malinois. Okay. Over there. Yeah. And they're here local to me. They're in Bowling Green now, and they used to be out of Michigan. And when they moved down to my area, I knew I'd wind up with a dog from them. You know, up until that point, it was just Rottweilers. But I've been, you know, really, really happy. And the reason I went with them was I had some really nice offers when I was in the market for a Malinois from some pretty nice people, some pretty big names. Mm-hmm. But once I met John and Paula's dogs up there at Mohawks, they were so social and still had all the ability to work. You know, when yeah. all the adults are running around with my kids there, that was important to me because my dogs are my pets first. Yeah. You know, they're in the house and they in here and they're, they're pet dogs first. And so that was very important to me. So now I got my second one. Luke is six years old. And I just started with this puppy and we'll see where we go from there. Nice. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was your sort of influences in dog training and, and who you've modeled off and who you've learned from the most or a lot over the years. I always tried to give credit where credit's due and no one has had a bigger influence over my career than, than Bart has, Bart Ballone, mm-hmm. by, by far, Okay. I was doing really well in the dog world. I was good at what I did. And then when he came to the States for his first seminar, mm-hmm. I think it was a seminar he met Michael, actually. Mm-hmm. Um, I drove 14 hours out there with my Dutch Shepherd. and I went to that seminar and it just it opened something up in me. It lit a fire under my ass, man, where I said I could be doing a lot more. Mm-hmm. And I soaked up every word that came out of his mouth. I watched every move he made and I kept going back every time I could work with him. And it was even at one point he said, Larry, why do you keep coming back? You know? <laughs> and I, I was doing pretty good at that at that time, but I, I always take something away from it. Always. Yeah. yeah. And so, you know, he, he's been by far my, my biggest influence and I do workshops all around the country now, you know, and, and there's times where I, I get a dog that's real difficult and I do something really weird and, you know, it, it produces tremendous results and people are blown away. And I just had this conversation with Bart. I just spoke to Bart a week or two ago. And a lot of times I'm just reaching back in the back of my head and I've seen him do something just like it, similar or the exact thing, mm-hmm. you know. And I just remember all these things and it's given me so many tools to, to, to reach in and, and help different situations. So by far, that has been my biggest influence by far. And, and I, I couldn't I could never repay what he's given me in the dog world. He may not know it, even though I've I've explained this to him. 
you know, and, and like he said, he goes, hey, thousands have seen it. You just paid attention, you know, yeah. something to that fact. Yeah. And so that that is definitely my, my biggest influence in, in the dog. And listen, everyone knows Bart from, you know, Thor and what, what his dogs look like. And it is spectacular to watch to see Michael and Bart's dogs in action. It, it is phenomenal, you know. But the thing that blew me away was when you have a trainer come into his seminars, you know, that's a world-class trainer and has been at the top of their game 20, 30, 40 years, some of them. And there's just maybe this one issue they're having with a real strong dog that they can't figure out. Mm -hmm. And Bart takes the dog and 10, 15 minutes later, it's turned around. Yeah. You know, and and it's like absolutely, absolutely insane. You know, listen. I had a friend come to one of the seminars once and I asked her, what do you want Bart to do? She had a big goofy lap, you know, like just happy go lucky. I'd like to do some bite work. I said, come on. <laughs> I said, he's not a, that's not going to happen. You have to be realistic, you know? And she said, oh, well, you know, you never know. And I said, come up with something else. So when she went out, he asked her, what do you want? He's okay. We put the dog on, on a flex pole, you know, and he started working the dog doing different things. And within 10 minutes, the dog was biting. And I said, holy shit, I have seen it all now. (laughs) But right now, the bull mastiff I have here with no drive, no drive to do anything, I got him biting on a rag and we're starting to mess around with the sleeve. I reached back to that moment in time when I watched him do that. And a lot of that stuff comes back to me. You know, it's made a world of difference. So when people see me getting this dog to bite and fetch a ball and bring it back and drop it. A lot of that has to do with those things I've experienced through his teachings, you know, very, very important. There's a lot of amazing things about Bart, isn't there? I mean, he's a very captivating person, but he pays a lot of attention. Like I think it drives Bart crazy not to know the answer. So he studies it fastidiously until he gets the answer and he works on it and works on it. And then he works on himself and he refines his, um, his program until it's something that he, he sees that is working and it's effective and it's gaining momentum for people. And even then he's not satisfied that it's good enough. He's still, it's the same with his technology that he works on. He gets it to a point where he thinks, yep, this is great. And when he releases, he goes, okay, now I'm working on version two and then version three and version four. Like he's already, he's already four steps ahead of what he's just explained to you, which is very impressive that he can keep, he hasn't just developed something and thought, you know what, that'll do. I'm happy with that. I can just ship that all around the world and just make money out of it. Bart's always looking for what's the next thing I can do. Where's the evolution? What's the next door in the hallway? And I really admire that about Bart. Yeah, he's he's a mad scientist. He you know, perfectly that's what we call him. That's what we call, him. What we call yeah. him, the mad scientist. That, that is, you know, and and it just, I, I just, I'm glad we have him in the industry. I, yeah. I really do, you know. You know, speaking of Bart, and something we we're talking about before, you know, making videos, polished videos like Bart. As I've spoken to him many times, you know, it's so he's so well known for that video, the famous video with Thor on that soccer field. It's like a ten minute mm-hmm. video. It does its rounds on Facebook every six months. People go crazy about it. People haven't seen it before. Uh, I'll admit that's the first ever video I saw of Bart, and I I said straight away like I have to I have to get in contact with this guy. I have to learn from this guy. Um, but when you know Bart and you understand that video, so you look at that and that is. What you, you it, most people in the world, I've described it as getting to watch Michelangelo sculpt the David. Mm. Most people watch that and just go, that's the most polished dog training ever. Um, 
you know the story? Do you know the story behind that video? Have you, have you ever said so that was the cameras were set up for something else and they asked him just to film? That was just a training yeah. session. There was no, yeah. there's no cuts, there's no edits. And there's Thor gets plenty of corrections in that, uh, but they're so slick that you don't see them. You, you got to know the system and you got to know what's going on, know the dog, know Bart to even understand what's going on. And his intention of that video was to show the stick, the, 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 the outcome, like his outcome for what he wanted to people to understand from that video was the relationship with the stick. And there's, you know, there's much explanations out there about the stick and creating harmony with the dog. And I'm not going to steal Bart's thunder on that here, but it's so smooth. Like I say, you look at that and that is probably the best example of putting Polish content out, but it's not. It just looks right. that way because that's just yeah. a normal day for Barton Thor. That's just the yeah. average training session. Like, and, and when you understand that, it makes it even more impressive. You're like, holy fuck, this wasn't like they set all this up and they've got it and this is, this yeah. is going to be the promo video for the next 10 years and this is the video that people are going to see. No, he was just at the field and these guys with the cameras were like, hey, can we film that? It's as simple as that. I think that video inspired a lot of people. Absolutely. To up what they were doing with their dogs. Yeah. I, I really do. I know it did me. There, yeah, there's yeah. no doubt about it. You yeah. know, it's pr- pretty incredible. Well, yeah. it gave, it made people realize that Bart's a no bullshit guy. People looked at it and thought, holy shit, you know, this guy really understands dog behavior. Like he, like Pat says, Pat, and he said it quite a few times, is that it's like um, Michelangelo's David. And that was a refining moment for Bart. You know, it was an unintentional video that went virally mad because people saw it and thought, how do you do that? How do you actually get a dog to love you that much and have such a bonded relationship? Yeah, work with that power. Mm. But yeah, yeah the, the whole video was intended to show the relationship of the stick. And there's lots of content out there with Bart talking about the stick and we can probably do an episode on it one day with his permission. The other thing then, Larry, you have a book. Yes. The e yes. book. So how did that come to be? That's uh yeah, that still makes me scratch my head a little bit. I've been doing e-collar stuff for a long time and I've been pretty successful with it, you know, and, and people seem to like the way I use it. But again, I didn't invent anything on my own. You know, I've taken things from from other people out there that are far superior to me, you know. And so I was constantly at I'm no writer. You could talk to my English teachers back in high school. <laughs> I'm not a writer, you know. And for some reason, people kept, you need to write a book, you need to write a book. And and I said, you know what? Fine, I will. But that book was a lot of stuff that I've been giving clients for years. Mm-hmm. I just polished it, added to it. But my goal was, I'm not a big reader. I get excited about a new book and I get bored really quick. Yeah. Okay. I wanted to write something that really served a purpose and that could help the average person understand it. No fluff, no bullshit. Just really simple that anyone could look at that book and get some help from it. And I figured if I sell a couple dozen copies, great. Maybe 100, 200 copies, you know, whoopee. Um, It's been over a year and it's selling more every month to this day. And it blows me away. And the responses that I've gotten about it is phenomenal. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, all kinds of people from competitors to, you know, 70 year old people who couldn't handle their dog before saying this changed my life. And it's because it's simple. It's really easy. If you just read it and understand it a little bit, and I believe I wrote it so anyone can understand it, it's pretty simple and you're going to get some headway. You're going to get some help, you know, and uh, I'm really grateful. The support for that book has been crazy. 
you know, and there's still pictures, you know, almost every day someone will post, look what just came in the mail. And I'm like, it's unbelievable, man. It just is. <laughs> That's so awesome. people say, when's the next book? Never. <laughs> no, no. This one's still me. selling. Why would I write another one? That's it. That's it. Just, just that one. You know, I've been asked about adding to it and making it a hardcover and an, maybe an audio book. I may do that. Uh-huh. Um, considering I don't know how to Skype, that may be a little difficult. Yeah. <laughs> I'll get someone to, to help me. But um, it has been really, really well accepted, and and I'm, I'm very grateful for it. You know, I'm still surprised, but very grateful. Do, do you have a publisher for that, or you just self did it and it's on self, Amazon? Self published it, yeah. Okay. Self self published it, and you know, it, it's just the first month I put it out. When I saw how many it sold, I was like, holy crap! I'm actually made some money, you know. Yep. And then the next month, it just and I haven't checked it in several months. I don't pay attention to it. I just know I get checks from several countries every single month going to my account and I don't even check them. So I checked it recently and it's like the last three or four months it's gotten, it was the three or four biggest months I've ever had. So yeah, after awesome. over a year, it's still doing really well. And, and listen, I've never told anyone, Hey, go out and buy my book. I, I didn't do it to try to make money. Sure. You know, I'm very passionate about the e-collar thing. I'm very passionate about dog training. I love it. I love the dogs. I love the animals, but we're heading down a road with these e-collars where we have too many YouTube trainers and yeah. I don't, I'm not trying to criticize anyone, but you can only learn so much on YouTube mm. and you guys know it takes a lot of dogs to really get good at doing it. Mm-hmm. Well, they just and banned them in the UK. It just, just came through. Yeah. I just saw that someone, people tagged me in that. And I said, mm. well, it's coming here too. It's only a matter of time guys, because if you have some of the biggest voices in dog training, slapping an e-collar on a dog, cranking it up and lighting their ass up, we're going to lose it. Yeah. <laughs> that's all there is to it. Yeah, that's right. Because the general population, the millions, the 300, 400 million people we have in the United States, the, you know, the minority is balanced, are balanced dog trainers. The mm. majority is everyday pet owners that when they see this stuff, we have people that are providing a ton of ammunition for the anti-e-collar people. We're serving it to them on a silver platter. It's going to happen if we don't change it. That's why I used to put out so many e-collar videos, so many first lessons. I wanted people to see how does the dog look, the first initial lesson where we start teaching the meaning of the e-collar. I just did one earlier today. You know, it's just a few seconds long. I wanted to show people, you know, with a bull mastiff, not a sharp dog, Mm -hmm. not a fast dog. I wanted to show with a nonverbal recall what the e-collar looks like. Still on low, low levels. One tap, the dog comes. He's not just coming to me. He's coming excited, mm-hmm. full of life. Yeah. It's so important that we start policing our own and stop the bad e-collar usage because we're all going to suffer. We're going to lose the tool, you know? Yeah. But there's a lot of people in the industry that follow popular dog trainers that they may not understand this. A lot of these popular dog trainers have learned how to train dogs through YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> they they don't have a background in dog training. Yeah. You know, if they if they did some of the things they do with these poor dogs with a strong working dog, they'd be eaten alive. Yeah. They'd be eaten alive. And and it I'm not as vocal about it anymore guys because there were times where I'd get so vocal and outspoken about it then, you know, some people get pissed at you. they think you're trying to better your situation. That's never what I wanted to do. But the attention has to be called to it because I'm a very offensive person. I'd rather take the offensive than the defensive. I'm not going to wait until they tell you, 
your tools are gone. I'm going to do everything I can to show the good side of it, you know, so we don't get to that point. Once you get to that point, it's too late. You know, it's, yep. it's just too late. You got to do something now. It's interesting that um, you're talking about that, Larry, because a while ago when we did the school with Bart, one of the things that always fascinated me was that he showed how you can use the e-collar as a condition reinforcer, like how you can actually use it on low stim and the dog will happily run over to you and it effectively just works like a physical clicker. And I looked at it and I just thought, no way. I just, I couldn't believe that he could use a remote trainer because in my mind, I mean, I knew about the whole negative reinforcement aspect of the of the remote trainer, but I'd never seen it used in an aspect where the dog was delighted about the sensation of it to a point where the dog had a Pavlovian effect from it. And I just looked at it and thought, that's a whole direction I've never considered before. And this is something that people simply don't understand. They've been used to... Well, they've had an education in what you talked about before. They've seen people show shocking videos, pardon the pun, where dogs are being lit up and they're jumping around and and they've got welfare agencies putting out pictures which depict, you know, burns to the neck, which are falsified, of course. We know that information as well. It's more skin necrosis from people misusing anything that they leave on the neck, which could be a flat collar, etc. Not trying to sell this argument. I'm just making obvious and valid points. But the reality is, is that when you do see somebody using them with art and finesse, you can't unsee what you've just seen. You've, you look at it and think that is just a whole direction I was never educated or never even considered before. This yeah, is what we've. It, this is the it, message it, that we've got to make sure people are looking at. Like if you if you're truly interested in being a balanced or a lemur trainer or whatever you want to call yourself then you've got to give people the whole picture. You've got to show them the entire concept of what it's all about. And while we're on that, this whole banning concept is the stupidest thing I've ever encountered in my life. I think it's it's the grossest neglect of, of humanity in anything. What I truly believe is that it doesn't matter if you don't like them, okay? It, it doesn't really matter at all. What I believe that we should be doing as professionals or even as a culture is offering education rather than just simply banning products. Education around it and having courses where people can actually go and learn from validated people who can then do a weekend course with people and then they can say, okay, now you know the foundations of how an e-collar or remote trainer should be used rather than just chucking in the garbage bin and saying, well, it's cruel, we don't like it. That's always based on somebody's feeling about the object rather than the facts around it. Well, and the thing is, proper usage is very easy. It's not a complicated thing. Mm -hmm. And I did a radio interview a couple of years ago, and they had given me a list of questions, and it was basically from an anti-e-collar group, not the radio station. The radio station was neutral. And I think there were 25 questions. And the 25 questions were basically statements. If you do this with an e-collar, this will happen to the dog. And I think they were shocked when they were asking me these questions. And I agreed with like 23 or 24 of them. I said, yeah, they're right. That would happen. But what you have to understand is that's not how they're meant to be used. Yeah. That's not what we're doing. So if someone is doing that, they have no business using an e-collar. And yes, that will happen. Mm. But I'm not doing that. Good trainers aren't doing that. We're doing the exact opposite. The only one that I said, no, that's totally false, was that you can burn a hole in a dog's neck. 
Okay, he said, no, that's flat out false. That's not going to happen. But just about every question out of the 20 something I agreed with. I agreed with the questions from the anti-e-collar group. Yeah, I said, that is true. But you're looking at it in one way or looking at experiments who or people that are doing these experiments are anti-e-collar. They're doing it to appease themselves, to, to provide facts that aren't true. Yeah. You know, and so I think they were kind of shocked when I said that. But look, every workshop I've ever done, I've had at least one or two people there that are purely positive trainers. And every single time they come up to me at the end, they've changed because they don't know that a lot of balanced trainers to train the way I do, like a lot of people do. They just see the worst of the worst and assume if you're a balanced trainer, that's what you do. Mm-hmm. You kick dogs asses. Yeah. You know, well, if you're looking for ugly, you'll find it. Absolutely. Two things on that. Actually, here in Australia, uh, went to the High Court. Was it which brand was it that took uh, the RSPCA? Inotech took uh, the RSPCA to court because they were saying that it causes burns. And so there's a, a High Court ruling proving that E. coli cannot cause burns. But you still see animal welfare agencies like government run ones, people who should know better. You can get that. That's public. That's public record. It is impossible to cause burn. There is proof, like in the High Court of Australia, that you cannot burn with an E. coli. But yet that rhetoric gets pushed, which is frustrating and annoying. And second, the only real study that was done in a way that, that I'm aware of anyway, that shows anything relevant to proper use of the knee collar was done by Esther Schalk, which proved they were the the most effective tool and the least stress-inducing in tool. Yeah, so, it was actually interesting that, and I mean, these were high-drive dogs, so I'm not going to sugarfoot around this. The test name is actually on the Balance Symposium for any members that are actually on there, but for people that are not, it's it was done by someone called Sigurli, and you can look up her PDF showing the results of it, but what they found was that Cortisol levels were much higher in dogs that were not given expected reinforces over stimulation from a remote trainer. Right. Even Esther right. herself. I mean, I've talked about this before and many times before, but Esther herself said I had to run the test again just to confirm what I was seeing, what I was seeing, because I expected it to be the opposite. Right. Well, and look, here's the thing, guys. Proper usage of this tool keeps dogs from being killed. Mm. It's that simple. You know, it's that simple because if you teach the average person how to use an e-collar properly, it levels the playing field a lot. Someone doesn't have to be a really highly skilled dog handler, you know, Um, but I've had literally 70 something year old people with a Rottweiler that there's no way they can control, you know, and and when we put them through a full training program and implement the e-collar, it keeps that dog in the house. You know, it keeps that dog out of the shelter. Mm -hmm. But they're always going to focus on the worst of the worst, you know, and, and I'll be the first to say if I had to give my dog, my own personal dog to a bad, purely positive trainer or a bad balanced trainer, I'll give him to the bad, purely positive trainer every time. Yeah. He may not learn something and you may not fix his problems, but you're not going to mess my dog up. Yeah, they're only going to make him put, stronger. <laughs> right. You, you put an e-collar in the wrong hands. You know, you definitely do some damage, guys. And there's a, a big percentage of the dogs I train have already been through an e-collar program that was not didn't go well. Yeah. You know, a big percentage of the dogs. So I have two lists, everyday regular clients and people that have already been through an e-collar program. And it went really bad. Mm-hmm. I do because I had to stop taking clients from from certain trainers that that were just lighting dogs up and frying them, yeah. you know, and yeah. and. And let me say this, e-collar training, if you train with me, is not mandatory. I don't tell anyone we have to use e-collars, but everybody does. 
You know, everybody does because they see not just my dogs. They see my clients. They see my clients dogs. They're never going to look down in the dumps and look like shit. You know, it's it's not going to happen. Yeah. A a lunatic with any tool is going to create problems. Amen. Absolutely. You got that right. I said once and I got really good feedback on it. I say a lot is I think that at a low level, e-collar only has the, the function you give it. And you can give it whatever function you want. Now, if that low level announces a high level, well, you, you've ruined the tool and you can only use it for that or without undoing it. Right. But you can make it mean whatever you want it to mean. It can be positive reinforcement. It can be negative reinforcement. It could be whatever function you want to give it because it's just a sensation and it's at that low level, it's a relatively neutral sensation. So you pair that to whatever you want and now you can do that remotely, silently, at distance. Right. I, yeah, absolutely. I, I agree with you there. And and, and listen, I, I beg people, I tell them just take a couple of weeks to teach the dog what it means yeah if you do that then you can use it in every way possible it opens up so many doors it, it really does you know it really does just take the time two weeks just give it two weeks of taking your time conditioning the dog on low levels using lots of rewards making it a good thing because then down the road if you do have to use it as the big stick if you do have to stop a dog in the tracks i don't care how high the level is the dog's not going to have any adverse effects from it mm-hmm. you know exactly. they're not going to they get it they understand it it just Never becomes another be form of communication that's what it is yeah that's it you well, know there- and 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 back to bart i've told him this you know you talk about napopo i said to bart i said bart the way i see it when when i'm teaching an average dog person with the e-collar, I want the, the nay popo. I don't want it to be negative, positive. I try to create neutral, positive, positive, as close as I can to neutral with the e-collar. Mm-hmm. That's my goal, you know? And if you keep that in mind, it's hard to fail, you know? But a, a lot of people think that it, it has to be the big stick still. It has to be a bad thing. And uh, it, it can be when needed, but just take your time. You know, I tell people it's like if you went into a restaurant and the waiter asked you something in French and you only spoke English. And when you didn't respond, he punched you in the face. <laughs> it's the same thing that people do with the dogs. They slap the e-collar on. The dog doesn't do what they want. and They light the dog up. Yeah. Bad. It's, just, it's, it's bad for everyone. It's bad for dog training. I don't care what side of the fence you fall on. It's bad for dog training. Yeah. Well, and I think that's one of the great things about your book. I've read it. I read it a while ago. And um, there's not too many people who have a profile that people can look up and see that not just showmen, that actually have good content and are teaching correctly. And you are that unicorn, right? Like people can see lots of good content and they can see you've got a a profile that people can look up, but you've got this exceptional use or um, excellent use with a laid out instruction manual on how to do that. And it's the correct way. I think that, and when people are looking for someone to talk to on e-collars, they need to talk to someone like you, especially media. That's what I'm talking about. Like when, when these things come around and they come into the spotlight, into the, the public eye, they need to talk to people who really understand the, how to use the collar correctly and have the background and establish the background before you can use it uh, properly. But the people who put their hand up in the air when the media are looking for someone to talk their attention horse. are the, the guys who have a profile and it's from just doing shit work and mm. putting out bulk shitty content and really having no idea what they're doing. And they are the ones that are going to fuck it for all of us. And can I just say that's the 
exactly the type of people the media look for because exactly. they're supporting their their story. And exactly. I mean, you well, know, and like I said, you look for ugly, you find it. That's right. So you come to me or to you or to Larry and say, hey, we want to talk about the e-collar. And I go, cool, you got five days because if you want to know stuff, like I can lay it all out for you and I can show you the implementation. You can give me the dog and I can show you how this all works and I can give it to, I can, I can show you step by step by step how this is all going to work and I can change this dog's state of mind. You go to someone else and they say, hey, we want to talk about the e-collar. You go, I'll be there in five minutes and give me any dog <laughs> and I'll put it on and bam, I'll have him I'll have him shut down. He'll be, as Jay likes to say, a dog skin rug that apologizes a lot. And that's exactly what people want. And yeah. unfortunately, like they're the ones that are all over the place and, and making big profile. And I couldn't agree with you more. That's the biggest problem that we face with that tool. And look, we're in New South Wales right now in Australia. E-collars are illegal here. Um, one, this is one of the states in Australia where e-collars are illegal. And, and I mean, we've got crazy legislation in Australia. In Victoria, it's legal with the permission of a vet. Mm-hmm. You have to get a vet check. And in, in Queensland, it goes crazy. No slather. one cares. So it's a bizarro thing. Like, you know, drive a thousand kilometers north and you're good and drive a thousand kilometers south and, and maybe you have to get permission. You got to find a vet that can do that. So it's a, it's such a bizarre state of – it's such a strange state of affairs to live in. And look, the, the, the Melbourne thing, I don't mind as much like because – if it promotes people go get a health check from their dog, great. That's not a bad thing. Yeah, exactly. I, I, I've got no problem with health checks and education. I think that actually adds merit to it to say that, you know, like I've, I've put all the stop gaps in place to make sure that everything's safe. Yeah. There was an interesting, Larry, this might interest you. There was a seminar I went to a while ago, and this is the stigma that they actually create with people. And this is the hysteria around it. The presenter got a remote trainer and he handed it around and he said, look, before we discuss it what i want everyone to do is is feel it and just feel what it feels like and he handed it to one lady and he said um he said just put it against your skin this like this and she was a bit nervous and he said i wouldn't ask you to do something i wasn't prepared to do myself and he said i'm not going to light you up i'm not going to put it on at the high level i just want you to feel the feeling what it is she put it on she said i'm not really feeling anything and he said some people don't some people do and he said just pass it to the lady next to you next lady she put it on then a next guy he put it on and both of them said, no, I'm not really feeling anything. Then the lady next to the guy, she grabs it and puts it on and uh, he presses the button and she drops it on the floor and goes, oh, my God. Oh, oh, wow. It felt like a needle going in my skin. And he said, really? And she said, yeah. And he said, describe the sensation to me. She said, oh, I've got now I've got pins and needles in my hand. Oh, can you, can you see my hand shaking? And I was there. I was actually in the crowd. And uh, she stood up and her hand shaking and vibrating all around the place. And she's like, you know, she said, oh, I feel, feel a little bit dizzy. Oh, I'm, he said, oh, sit down, sit down. Someone get you a drink of water. And he said, are you okay? And she said, oh, I'm not, not sure. I'm still feeling a little little weird by the whole experience and he said that's really odd and she said why is that and he said it's not even turned on ah that's great (laughs) and uh like everyone like people kind of laughed and i mean she was a little humiliated he said i didn't do that to humiliate you he said i did that to show you that people if they already have a preconceived idea and a stigma around the object they he said they will develop this a pseudo effect or what do you call it? Um, well, that, that exactly proves my point in that an e-collar has the function you give it. Yes. And so if you- If, you find, if, you, if you're looking for ugly, you find it. Yeah. If you think this is a, a tool that can only be used to cause extreme pain, it's going to cause you extreme pain whether you- it's Placebo even turned, effect. That's yeah, what the I was placebo effect, whether it's yeah. turned on or not. The good news is that dogs don't know that. Dogs don't get- to read the, the the ridiculous propaganda surrounding it. And so they really do have, it really does get to have the effect that you give it. That's right. Um, 
Anyway, look, that's a frustrating point that we could probably talk around in circles for many hours. Yes. As it has been done around the world countless amounts of time. Exactly. But I agree with you, we need to be on the front foot and showing people the the correct and positive use of the collar. The annoying thing for me is my biggest client in, in teaching this stuff too is the police and military. Like, And then I travel around the country teaching them, but am not allowed to, to put it on pets. So it's that's ridiculous and frustrating in my opinion. It is. But I think we are coming up to being out of time. The power's going to turn off here very soon, isn't it? Yeah, we've got some people putting up a new power pole on our property, so they need to cut the power. Oh. Larry, are you reading anything at the moment? We're talking books at the moment and we're, we're developing this huge reading list that for our, our listeners. <laughs> well, I think, it, I think it was because of you guys. I think I heard about the talent code on, oh, yeah? on your podcast. Let me tell you something. I said I get bored fast. By far the best book I've ever read in my life. Uh-huh. So thanks for I – think, I think Bart mentioned it yeah, to you guys. Yeah, it's a yeah. And then apparently Michael mentioned to him and then apparently someone else mentioned – that is the best book that I've ever read. Mm-hmm. And it, it, what it did was when I was reading it, all these light bulbs went off on why the dogs or my clients or myself do things. It just made everything very clear. I could pinpoint different times in my career, 20 something years, why something happened. And uh, if you're a dog trainer, anybody, you have to read that book. Yeah. You know, just absolutely phenomenal. I have several books now. People, dog trainers send me or anyone in the dog industry, if they have a book, I've been getting books in the mail and they want me to read them. I'm like, I got a lot of reading to do now. <laughs> because listen, if I like something, I'm going to promote it. I'm always going to try to help. Some- if I see something good, I'm, I'm going to try to put it out there. And for some reason, there's people that listen to me. I don't know why, but uh, but but they they do. So if I can help uh, some, one of our peers out, I'm going to do do so. You, you know. Yeah. Well, you know, Daniel Coyle's writing a new book at the moment, so he'd better send a, a, a check. A pub, like, well, he better send a copy to Bart <laughs> to read, and then that can be disseminated against the dog yeah. training community once again. Because I reckon that. A huge percentage of people reading that book has got to be because of the dog trainers that pass it around and go, oh, this explains so much about what we already know, what we already, it makes us understand what we, we've been doing for a while. Absolutely. Um, I'm reading the actual good, um, well, I'm not reading, I'm listening to a good book on uh, Audible at the moment, which is called What It's Like to Be a Dog and Other Adventures in Animal Neuroscience by Gregory Burns. It's actually very interesting. It's about the people who did the MRI technology with dogs so they could actually indicate the regions of the brains that lit up as they experienced mm-hmm. different emotions and different sensory ah, cool. capacities were triggered. So very, very interesting. And this guy goes into quite a lot of depth about neuroscience in different animals and the different brains that they scanned in dolphins, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's absolutely fascinating. I, I put that on your list of recommended books to read. Well, there you go. We like yeah, to come up with one out. per Definitely. episode. Mm. Hey, Larry, thank you very much for making the time to come on with us. Again, like I said uh, throughout, uh, I, I think your book is fantastic and it's good. No, good's not a good enough word. It's important that it mm. that information gets out to everybody and in such an easy fashion. It's 12 bucks or something on, on Amazon or something like that, yeah. right? It's not much. So check that out if you haven't already. And it, if, if you're even going to think about using the e-collar, do it for sure. Like I said, I learned the e-collar from Bart. I, I read the book afterwards and I, I still got heaps out of it. So it, it's a really, really good solid content. And I think it's important that that content get out around the world and more people start implementing that tool in that way. Yeah. Anything in closing, Larry? 
Well, I, I just want to thank you guys. I really appreciate it. You know, when anybody thinks enough of me to, to get me on the show and talk to me, I enjoy it for one. I love talking like this about dogs, but I don't take it lightly. I don't take it for granted. So uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. I really do. And thank we you. appreciate you too. I mean, having somebody of your capacity that's out there sending a positive message to people inexperienced and experienced alike it's fantastic that they're getting a good message from somebody who considers everything that's awesome larry so keep up the great work mate you're doing a great job thanks guys you too keep them coming love the show will do all right well that's it for another episode of the canine paradigm as always if you like what you're hearing like rate share subscribe through whatever subscription service you download us from tell a friend that's always a good one and if you want to get in contact with us the best way to do that is via facebook we are the canine paradigm there you can send us a message Glenn, music. Music.